so we are already being blessed because God is very good and he is faithful and this wonderful music and Scott's song and the congregational singing, oh, what a joy. And I want you to just be thankful for all of that for just a moment because God is here and he wants to speak to you and me. And he certainly wants to forgive us. Even Psalms 51 that Scott referred to starts off by saying, Lord, have mercy on me out of your wonderful compassion. Isn't that something that we all need? Now, I look out at this congregation and for myself, and I pray for every person that I see as I look around the room. I pray that you are forgiven. Now, sometimes we take that for granted. We've become very familiar with some of these godly things that are so very good. But for just a moment, as I am saying, and I do hope that everyone in this room is a believer in Jesus Christ. And because of that, you are forgiven. That means you are forgiven. <laughs> that means that being the sinner that you are and that I am, that because of the wonderful love of Jesus Christ and God's plan through all of that, that the charges have been erased. And even the charges that we do today and tomorrow, they have been erased. Now, isn't that a wonderful thought? You know, the more I have uh, preached these last two or three Sundays on radical things of the Lord, the more I've realized how radical our Christian faith is. Because remember, I said that a good definition of radical is someone that is involved in or something that is creating change, drastic change, that that then is what is radical. Now, the fact is, is that you and I are sinners. <laughs> and paying for our sin would be a drastic element in our lives and in eternity. But because Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago, and because he loves us, God's plan was for his love, then the change that has taken place in this radical thing called the Christian faith is that now you and I are forgiven. <laughs> if it were not for the radicalness of Jesus and his love, we would not be forgiven. This world, and you know this, and my goodness, I know this, and even this past week, just things of this world, things of human beings, things of, of sin, things of darkness, things of evil. I'm so sorry, but they're all around us. And it's not getting any better, folks. And the Bible tells us it's not going to get any better. In fact, and I have to just say this, because yesterday just kind of looking through that thing called the Internet and news and Facebook and so forth, I came across this item that said that the governor of California, I think his name is Gavin, 
he now has put up billboards in seven states telling people that still want to have abortions that they should come to California so that they could kill their babies. And not only that, but he has said that he's referring to a passage of Scripture that I'm going to talk a little bit more about today, that we're to love our neighbors, and the passage of Scripture is on the billboard. Now, I grew up in the state of Mississippi. Now, maybe I don't talk just like that because people don't down there, and I love them, they don't say Mississippi. They, may, they say Mississippi. They leave out a syllable and put a uh on the end of it. Never have understood that, but I was uh, blessed or cursed with that good southern accent for years, and when I first went to seminary, I was in a drama and in a play, and we were in rehearsal one night, and I had somebody ask me a question. The one-line answer to the question was yes, Y-E-S. And when I answered the question with my southern accent coming from Mississippi or Mississippi, I said yes, I thought, and the director jumped up and he said, Solomon, stop, stop. Yes is not a seven-syllable word. Yes, but in Mississippi, they have said no to abortion. Hallelujah. But now this governor from California has put his scripture up in front of thousands and thousands of people saying, based on this scripture, we're to love our neighbors as ourselves, and that means that we need to share the privilege uh, of killing our children, unborn children. The world is a crazy place, folks. It is a crazy place. And Jesus has come into this world. But this place, this world, oh my goodness, it needs so desperately the radical presence of Jesus Christ. The love, the forgiveness. You know, I've put before you and before the deacons when I shared with them a couple of weeks ago, these three words that I know that human beings don't like. You and I don't like them. But in the Lord, we've got to like them. It's part of our heritage. It's part of our faith. And Jesus Christ has demonstrated this before us. And I want you to remember the three words. And I want you to embrace them. I want you to take them in because it's part of the radical nature of Jesus Christ. And it is part of your salvation, your faith, your Christian experience. Those words are submission, surrender, and sacrifice. Now, we human beings don't like any of that. But that is a part of what Jesus has said and demonstrated and what we talk about here in this place and what I'm going to talk about today is so that you and I can learn more and more and commit ourselves to the process of the Lord and not the process of our humanness and certainly not the process of this dark, evil, 
troubled world in which we live. So let's talk about radical love for just a minute. And let's talk about it in the spirit and in the truth of Scripture and of Jesus Christ and what he has commanded. Now, I want to sit with that for word for just a minute because we're going to come across that several times in the next 10 or 15 minutes. Well, maybe 30 minutes. Commandment. This is what Jesus Christ has commanded. Do you know what a command is? It means no option. It, it doesn't mean maybe or we'll see or you need to think about it. You and I are to be submitted to the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. And he commands. The Pharisee came to him and said, Master, what is the greatest commandment? And you know, I hope you know, that Jesus looked at him and he quoted something from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Because Jesus knew that because it was his word, right? And he said, you're to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. And you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in the law and the prophets hangs on these two commandments. Commandments. Jesus looked at that Pharisee who was trying to trick him. But Jesus gave us the very essence of this thing of radical love. When he said, you're to love your Lord, your God, with Everything you got. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. I'm thinking about it. We have to think about it. Because you and I end up loving a lot of other things. And that's okay in many cases. Some cases not. But we're to love the Lord with priority and with everything that we have. And then from that love, and that's very important, from that love, then it says we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, I've said this to you before. I preached a little bit of this out in the lawn at our church picnic because I am convinced that that says not only that we're to love the Lord our God with everything, but that we are to love ourselves, yes, and then we're to go and love our neighbor. Radical love. Now, the love of self is not pride. It's not conceit. It's not selfishness. Look at me. It is to understand that when God loves us and we love him, then we live in value and righteousness and worthiness. I'm a counselor. I spend a lot of time with people that have no concept, even Christian people. 98% of my clients are Christians. And they have no concept of godly love for themselves. Because Satan wants you to hate yourself. Because then you're diluted. You're weakened by that poor self-image. So we love the Lord with everything we have. And then based on that, he gives us the ability to understand and know that in him and through him, we are lovable. And then in the power that comes from those first two things of radical love, then we're able to go and love our neighbor and love our brothers and sisters 
And I'm going to emphasize some of that because we're here in this church family and we are to love each other. Because another command that Jesus gave us the night before he was crucified in the 15th chapter of John, he looked at his disciples. He was preparing them in these final chapters of the book of John. He was about to leave and he wanted them to have all sorts of preparation and all sorts of strength. And he looked at them and he said, this is my command. You are to love each other the same way that I love you. Now, that night before the cross, the disciples didn't understand all of that because they didn't totally know yet, even though they had walked with Jesus for three years, they didn't totally know yet how he loved them and how he loves all of us. But you and I know because now we can look back on the cross. We can look back on that ultimate, here's the word, sacrifice that Jesus gave to you and me. And then we have to remember that he said, now I want to emphasize, he said, this is not Don Solomon, it's not just words on a page, this is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Master. He said, this is my command. You are to love each other the same way that I love you. Now I'm going to ask you to think about that for a minute because I am focused on the fact that the same way that he loved me was he went to the cross and he stretched out his arms and was nailed on an ugly, bloody, cruddy tree so that my sin could be forgiven. Please think about that. Don't take that for granted. And I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to you. And remember, it was a command. So here's my question. How in the world can you and I, as selfish, sinful creatures, which we are, how can we then come to a point of loving in this kind of radical, powerful way that scripture is talking about because I know me I know the struggles of my life journey I know the mistakes I've making I've made I know the fact that I'm selfish I know the fact that that I don't get it sometimes so I'm saying how can I come to the point of being able to love God love myself love my neighbor and accept the command that I'm to love you and others the very same way that Jesus Christ loves me. Well, at that point, I'm going to pick up this good book right here. And I'm going to turn to the book of 1 John. And if they have it on the screen back there, I'd appreciate it if they put up the scripture that was read just a few minutes ago because I want to go through that. Because in this beautiful passage in 1 John, the fourth chapter, is the answer to what I just said. 
I just ask the question, how can I and how can you in our sinfulness and our selfishness, how can we then love the Lord with everything, love ourselves, love our neighbors, and accept the command of Jesus Christ that he said, you're to love each other the same way I loved you. First John, the fourth chapter, and I want to read it because I want the words to sink in because it is God's word, and I will make a few comments about it. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And I am convinced that you are sitting here today because you love God. And I hope you love King's Grand Baptist Church. I do. And I hope you love each other. I do. But the love comes from God. Whoever does not know God, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And I'm even going to say that we might love through him because he is the origin of our love. Verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice from our sin. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I want that to sink in just a little bit. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made completely in us. Out beside that sentence, I write in my, my Bible all the time. I hope you're okay with that because sometimes I've write it in so much I can't even read the passages, but I get there. But right after that where it says that no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love his love is made complete in us. I wrote out beside that, it is a God thing. That's where we get the power. That's where we get the ability. That's where we get the spirit of being able to love with this radical nature. Because it is a God thing. It's not a human thing. But the only way you and I can have part in a God thing is to be committed and submitted to him, obedient to him, and to have Jesus Christ in our life. But it is a wonderful thing when we have that. Verse 16, and so we know, know, we don't guess. We don't just suppose. We don't suspect. But it says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is Love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Verse 19. We love. Listen carefully. We love because he first loved us. Now you understand this is where we get the ability to love. If we don't have this and don't have this truth and don't have this spirit in us, then we have no ability to love. But 
We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yes, yet hates his brother or sister. Now, I'm going to say something a little expanding there. It says hates, and that is what happens in our lives sometimes when we don't share and experience the love of God. But even if we linger in anger or if we hold a grudge or if we continue to live in discord with our brothers and sisters. Okay, I'm going to put that there. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates or carries a grudge or lives in anger or lives in continued discord with our brothers and sisters, then he or she is a liar. Now, I'm not saying that. This is saying that. And I want to say to every one of you that I pray, I hope, and I will trust you as speakers of truth, people of honesty and integrity. But if we are living in hatred or discord or difficulties with our brothers and sisters, God's word says that then I are you, we are liars. For anyone who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen, and he has given us this command. There it is again, folks. He has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother or sister. My question to you is, are you willing to accept and live according to the command? I ask myself the same question. I want you to answer it in your own mind, in your own prayers, in your own presence before your Heavenly Father. Are you willing to accept the command to love your brothers and sisters? We are a family. We are a church family. Now, I'm not perfect, and neither are you. And we offend. We get crossways with each other. We do things. We say things. We accept things. We, we do a lot of things sometimes that hurt our family members. But in love and in proper spirit and proper Christian maturity, we are and we are commanded to work that out. Now, that's where radical forgiveness comes in. Now, we've already said, and I'm saying again, I pray that all of you are forgiven through the presence of Jesus Christ in your life. So what I'm going to do here for the next few minutes is I'm not going to concentrate on the forgiveness that you and I already have. I want to concentrate on the forgiveness that we need to live in with each other. What we need to share as loving family members in the presence and under honoring Jesus Christ as our Lord. Because then we have to come. Now, I am saying absolutely it is an essential factor of our loving relationships. We have to come to radical forgiveness. 
listen to me. I've been a, a counselor for 50 years. And I've sat in my office with broken people and broken relationships. And I've been in the church for 90 years almost, not quite. But the fact is, is that relationships are broken at every corner. And they sometimes are broken and it's obvious and sometimes they're broken and it's hidden. And I see it and I feel it and I hate it. Because in the radical love of Jesus Christ and in the radical forgiveness that he empowers in you and me, it is absolutely essential and possible to forgive. Now, I want you to hear something. And you can agree with this or not. I do not believe that non-Christian people can forgive. I do not believe it. Because our nature, your nature and mine as human beings, our natural nature is to not forgive. It's to get even. To hold a grudge. To live in hatred. To live in discord. That's our natural being. Our supernatural being through Jesus Christ. Then we're given the ability to forgive. So I pray all of you are forgiven because Scripture tells us in Ephesians 4 and in Colossians 3, what does Scripture say? It says we are to forgive each other in the way that God forgave us. Now, in Acts 26, the Apostle Paul, who wrote Ephesians and Colossians, is witnessing to King Agrippa. And in his process, Paul says something very important about the sense of forgiveness because he says that in forgiveness that we are to repent and then demonstrate our forgiveness in our behavior and deeds. Now we're talking about essential radical forgiveness in the family because if you or I or anybody is in hatred or discord with their brother and sister, then there is need for forgiveness. And every one of you and I, all of us, have hurt other people at times in our lives. It's part of our nature. I hate it. It's part of our sinfulness. I hate it. But I've hurt other people, you've hurt other people, but then what do we do when we have hurt other people? What are we supposed to do? Well, Scripture in the entire context of Scripture, in the loving context of Scripture, when we have hurt other people, we are to deal with that in a godly fashion. You know what happens with a lot of People, when they hurt or they make a mistake or they do something wrong, they rationalize it. You know what a rational is? It is a, a poor excuse for bad behavior. They make light of it. They say, oh, it's just, it's just human nature that I did that or said that. 
or, or it was just a lapse in judgment, or I didn't really mean it. And then when the apology comes, they say, well, if what I said hurt you, then I'm sorry. Guess what, folks? That's not even an apology. No. You remember what it says in chapter 7 of Matthew? I've said this before you. You've read it. It's in the context of don't judge other people. It says you're to look at the board in your own eye. In other words, we must take responsibility when we do something wrong. And then we are to be involved in the process of forgiveness. Now, we want, when we do something wrong, we want to be involved in the process of forgiveness. When something's been wrong done toward us, we want to forgive. Because it said to forgive others the same way that God forgives you. Well, when God forgives you, does he want you to confess? Yes. Does he want you to repent? Yes. Does he want you to make restitution? Do you understand that word? Restitution is a really important word in this whole process of forgiveness. Restitution means you do it differently. You make up for it. But the only way we can make up for it is if we involve ourselves in good dialogue. This, Folks, forgiveness is a two-way street. Forgiveness comes from the offender and also the offended. From, from the person that has done something wrong, which you and I have done, and also from us when something's been wrong done toward us. Then when there's dialogue and when there's loving communication between these two sides, and that's what I want you to think about for a little bit, because this is God's plan of healing, healing in a relationship, healing in a family, healing in a church. Because if you've done something wrong to other people, first and foremost, you have to take responsibility for the board that is in your own eye. You don't make light of it. You don't excuse it away. You don't say, well, I didn't really do much wrong. It's just a little minor mistake. If you do something wrong, if I do something wrong, my responsibility is to say, under God's leadership, I was wrong. Period. No excuses. If I'm the offender the wrongdoer, then that's my responsibility. And then my responsibility is to say something very important. Three words. I am sorry. You know, a while back, I don't hear it much anymore, it says that good love and good relationships, meaning you don't have to say you're sorry. Well, I'm sorry, folks. I'm so sorry that that was there because I'm sorry. That's one of the sorriest statements I've ever heard. Of course you have to say I'm sorry. And you need to say it with integrity and genuineness and under absolute guidance from Almighty God. 
because if I've wronged you, then I am against what God wants in love and forgiveness. And so I come to you and I say, I am sorry. I did thus and so and thus and so. And I said thus and so and thus and so. Whatever my offense was. And then I tell the person that I am going to take responsibility for that to the extent that I am going to make restitution for that. That I'm going to do something that would make up for that. I'm going to treat them in a different fashion. I'm going to act on it. Remember in Acts 26, Paul said, you repent and show your repentance by your deeds and behavior. That is restitution. And that is very important. Forgiveness comes between two people or between two groups or in a church family when people act in a loving, forgiving fashion where the offender admits, takes responsibility for, confesses, and lets the other side know that they're going to act differently. And then the one that has been wronged. If you've been wronged by me, if I've said something to you or done something towards you that has hurt your feelings or hurt your being or hurt your family, heaven forbid that I would, but if it happens and then I come to you and confess, then you have a responsibility in love and under God's guidance to listen prayerfully with acceptance and compassion to the person that has come to you to confess and to say, I am sorry. Sometimes in difficult relationships, when there's been hurt, the one that has been offended, the one that has been wrong, is going to be stubborn and say, well, I'm not going to listen to you because you hurt my feelings or you did something that I don't like and you hurt my family. No, that is not radical forgiveness. Forgiveness, remember, is a two-way street. And so if you've been wronged and somebody comes to you in humbleness and in repentance, then you are to listen prayerfully. And then you come to a very, very difficult spot because with God's help. Remember, I said a moment ago that Christians cannot forgive. Excuse me. Non-Christians cannot forgive. And so with God's help, then you have to come. If you've been wrong and somebody has come to you to say, I am sorry, then you pray. You think about it. You put it in God's hands and you make a decision to forgive. It is a decision. It's not just a feeling. And it is a very serious decision. And in that forgiveness, then what happens? Because the wrongdoer has come in repentance and restitution. The one that has been wronged has come in prayer and in compassionate listening. And then the one that has been wronged has forgiven and then there's every chance of the relationship being restored. 
Do you remember what radical means? It means causing and being involved in drastic change. Relationships are broken all around us. It happens most every day. And part of my responsibility, but part of your responsibility under God's guidance is to restore the relationships through radical forgiveness so that there can be a continuation of radical love. My question to you is, are you willing to be supernatural in this? You are supernatural beings. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit in you. You're not just a human being. Now you are, and you still struggle, and I still struggle. But you are supernatural, and in that, even when hurt has happened, even when there are differences, even when we've been selfish and sinful, through God's power and through the Holy Spirit and through your supernatural nature, there can be love and forgiveness. In fact, I'll say it one more time. There can be radical love and radical forgiveness through Almighty God and His plan. Please pray with me.